Hello, I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank. At the FOMC meeting last week, the Fed had raised interest rates by 25 basis points and recognised that the disinflationary process has started. So what are the implications on fixed income and currencies? Also, Singapore will be announcing its budget on 14th of February. How will it be a Valentine budget? So Jaime Elias, Chief Economist, discusses with our analysts. Let's start with the uh, recap of the week that was. Um, equity and bond market movements last week uh, and up to yesterday were dominated by last week's major banks' interest rate decisions and US job market data. Fed dialed down further on the speed of policy tightening as the Fed fund rates was raised by 25 basis points in line with markets bet. This was after 50 basis point hike in December and four rounds of 75 basis point increases in June and November last year. Fed acknowledged uh, inflation has eased somewhat, but also stressed that consumer prices remain elevated, thus signaling it is not done yet with rate hikes. Current FOMC's median forecast or the dot plot signals Fed fund rate range peaking at 5% to 5.25% and staying at this level until year end. Uh, this suggests another two rounds of five basis point hikes in Fed fund rate at the 21st, 22nd March and 2nd, 3rd May FOMC meetings. Meanwhile, um, US job markets added 517,000 non-farm jobs in January, around three times consensus estimates and the biggest gain in six months. Unemployment rate slipped to 3.4%. That's the lowest level since 1969. But Employment Cost Index or ECI rose 1% in fourth quarter. That's less than expected and it is the slowest in a year, suggesting the tight job market is not necessarily inflation. Um, over in Europe, ECB raised its uh, interest rates by another 50 basis point and signal further hike by the same amount in March, but subsequent interest rate decision will be data dependent. And notably, Eurozone's headline inflation slowed by more than expected in January to 8.5% from 9.2% in December, although core inflation, excluding food and energy prices, uh, remain at on all-time high of 5.2%. Bank of England also raised interest rate by another 50 basis point to 4% in line with expectations. Uh, the bank said headline inflation has peaked, it is slowing, and also project inflation to fall sharply over the course of this year, reaching 3% in first quarter 2024. Bank of England also said UK's recession is likely to be much shallower than previously expected, largely due to the drop in energy prices. So overall, market interpret ECB and BOE rate decision and outlook as signaling that their hike cycles are nearing peak. Uh, over in China, uh, Chinese equities fell in last week's trading post-Lunar New Year holidays as investors pocketed gains from the year-to-date rally. Uh, China's economic activities improving uh, in January following the exit from zero COVID-19 policy based on PMI data. The official manufacturing PMI rose to 50.1 from uh, December's 47, and non-manufacturing PMI rose to a better expected 54.4 last month versus 41.6 the month before. 
separately the Kaijin SNP Global Survey of Services Activity in China rose to a better than expected 52.9 reading in January compared with 48 in December. Uh, meanwhile, the IMF's World Economic Outlook update last week raised 2023 global growth forecast to 2.9% from the 2.7% projection in November. That's down from 3.4% in 2022 before it is expected to pick up to 3.1% in 2024. But 2023-2024 global economic growth forecasts remain below uh, the average for the years 2000 until 2019 of 3.8%. Uh, global inflation is expected to fall from 8.8% last year to 6.6% this year and 4.3% next year, which are still above pre-pandemic levels of 3.5% average for the years 2017 and 2019. According to IMF, the balance of risk remained tilted to the downside, but adverse risks have moderated compared with its assessment back in October. Morning, Suhaimi. I think the chances is lower for the Fed to stop hiking rate as early as the next meeting in March, especially after the blow-up surprise from the non-farm payroll gain last Friday. The good news is um, inflation has been heading to the right direction. The PCE inflation slowed to an annualized pace of about 2 to 2.5% in 4Q last year. But unfortunately, it is not sufficiently broad-based. If you look at the PCE inflation subcomponents, uh, first, goods inflation have come down because of easing supply chain tightness. Second, housing inflation remains high, but based on some leading indicators like rents and home prices, housing inflation should begin to ease and perhaps fall rapidly in the second half of the year. The third one for core services, inflation excluding housing, unfortunately remains stubbornly high. And to bring this down, it will require some slack in the labor market, which is not evident currently. So the labor market is still very tight. The wage growth is still high. Job cut announcement in the US tech sector have not resulted in job market weakness. ISM services PMI also rebounded strongly for January after dipping below 50 in December. The current Fed funds rate is restrict restrictive, but not sufficiently restrictive. Currently, the market has almost fully priced in for another 25-bit hike in March. The market has also reduced the rate cut pricing in 4Q later this year uh, to about 30-bit from 50-bit previously. So between um, now and March FOMC, there will still be one more US jobs report and two CPI reports. I would caution that after a very forceful tightening by the Fed, we need to watch out for abrupt and sudden changes in the economic conditions. And coming to ASEAN, um, we are maintaining our views for regional bonds. Uh, Maoli bullish on Malaysia and Singapore, a neutral on Indonesia, Philippines and Thailand. Thanks, Winston. Um, let's move on to Hakbin. Um, Hakbin, Singapore's 2023 budget will be tabled on 14 February. What are your expectations on the budget? So Finance Minister Lawrence Wong will be unveiling his Valentine budget on 14 Feb to help Singaporeans cope with rising costs of living, especially those in the more vulnerable and lower-income groups. Prime Minister Lee hinted of additional incentives to encourage more Singaporeans to have uh, children, so we should expect expansion of the baby bonus packages. Social support will likely be expanded in the form of temporary cash support and training subsidies. I note that previously the government has been reluctant to make the temporary cash support 
or unemployment uh, you know, payouts uh, a permanent feature also of the safety net. So this will be quite a, a breakthrough. And the next 1% GST hike to 9%, we think will likely proceed on 1st Jan 2024, as the economy seems to be holding up. And I think odds of a recession have eased with China's reopening. The GST assurance package will likely be topped up by 1.4 billion in this budget to bring the total to 8 billion. Uh, the progressive wage scheme may also be expanded to cover more sectors, although I think this risks fanning wage cost pressures on inflation. There could be more support as well for businesses, similar to the 500 million jobs and business support package in some previous budgets, including a small business recovery grants, temporary bridging loans, and trade loan schemes. On wealth taxes, uh, DPM Wong did signal in August in an interview that the wealthy may face more taxes as the government aims for more inclusive growth. But as uh, wealth taxes announced last year are still being implemented, property taxes, uh, car duties, and marginal personal income taxes are still going up uh, in 2024. I think the government may take a pause on announcing more wealth taxes in this budget. On some of the numbers in the previous uh, budget's projections, it looks like the the, the fiscal revenue side really uh, you know, rose far, far higher than what was projected. So instead of projected half percent deficit for the budget, it looks like the government will probably uh, generate surplus of about almost 1% of GDP. So I think robust GDP growth and record high employment growth last year, bear in mind that uh, jobs growth was 231,000 last year, has really driven up fiscal revenue. Uh, what's some of the things that stood out? Corporate income tax rose almost 28%. In the first nine months of the fiscal year, GST went up 13%, personal income taxes went up about 9%. And then on the spending side, that's coming in below budget projections, partly due to lower spending on COVID-related measures. So I think this budget will help fund the fifth and sixth possibly election budgets. I know that the next general elections is not due until November 2025. Uh, since the first three budgets uh, still generate a cumulative fiscal deficit, we think that this year's budget will have to be planned around a small fiscal surplus. On the net investment returns contribution, um, which was estimated to be about 21.6 billion, we think it will largely be in line. Bear in mind that even though you know, GIC and Tabasic face uh, weaker global markets, the MAs transferred about 238 billion of excess reserves to GIC for investment management uh, to generate uh, higher returns. So I think this might help uh, you know, offset some of the weaker market's uh, impact. Thanks, Abin. Uh, let's move on to Juye. Uh, Juye's Indonesia's uh, January inflation number was out last week. And this week, we will have fourth quarter 2022 GDP. Do you think January CPI and the upcoming GDP numbers justify uh, the outlook of the IRA rate hike cycle has ended? What could be a surprise uh, on the upside? Hi, good morning, everyone. Uh, well, the recent inflation and growth indicators do justify a hold by BI uh, in the upcoming meeting on 16 February. Uh, firstly, inflation is on a moderating trend. Uh, it eased in January mainly because of softer transportation costs, uh, because prices of non-subsidized fuel uh, like Potamats were adjusted lower in line with easing global oil prices. Uh, headline CPI came down to a five-month low of 5.3% in January. Uh, while, core, while core CPI aged down to 3.3%. Uh, secondly, growth is slowing. 
uh, for Q GDP growth was released yesterday uh, and came in at just 5% compared to the 5.7% in the third quarter. Uh, we see momentum easing for both domestic as well as external demand. Uh, for instance, household consumption rose by just 4.5% as the slowest pace in three quarters as the reopening tailwind is fading. Uh, and Finance Minister Sri Moyani recently commented that she expects growth this year to be softer uh, compared to the 5.3% pace of 2022 uh, because of slower global economic growth. Uh, so our base case is for inflation to gradually ease uh, and return to BI's target range of 2 to 4% by the second half of the year. Uh, but what could surprise on the contrary is uh, if food and commodity prices soar with China's reopening uh, and pushes up Indonesia's domestic inflation again. Uh, food prices have yet to pull back significantly. It rose by just five, it rose by 5.8% in January, uh, driven by volatile categories like red chili as well as shallot. Uh, another possible shock for Indonesia is if global oil prices rise again because of the surge in demand and tight supply. Uh, and in this scenario, BI may have to hike uh, more uh, than, than the 225 bits which has delivered so far. Thanks, Andre. Um, Brian, um, can you update us on the latest developments and your outlook for Indochina's macro, especially uh, Vietnam and Cambodia, amid the uh, kind of mixed situation on the grounds where we have, you know, slum in exports, but sustained consumer spending. We're also seeing climbing uh, foreign visitors' arrivals amid uh, China opening, etc. Hi, morning, Saimi. Yep. Uh, so, uh, exports have weakened uh, in uh, both Vietnam and Cambodia in line with uh, slumping global demand as consumers in major markets pull back on spending and also retailers find themselves with a backlog of excess inventory. So, Vietnam's exports plummeted uh, 21% on a year-ago basis in January, which was the worst showing since February 2010, although partly also caused by fewer working days due to the week-long Lunar New Year holiday. Double-digit declines were seen across most major products led by apparel, uh, telephones and consumer electronics. In Cambodia, export growth weakened to just 1.1% year-on-year in the fourth quarter, far below the 4.2% in the third quarter and double-digit rates witnessed in the first half of last year, uh, with the weakness led by government exports to the US and major European markets. Uh, but a bright spot for uh, both Vietnam and Cambodia is exports to China, which fell by a slower 6% uh, in December for Cambodia and rose 20% year-on-year in January for Vietnam, according to preliminary data. Consumer spending has uh, remained relatively resilient, with uh, retail sales in Vietnam rising 20% on the year in January, sustained by high seasonal demand during Lunar New Year, and also uh, resilient household finances. Uh, the consumer services sectors are benefiting from recovering foreign visitor arrivals, although that said, arrivals are not yet near pre-pandemic levels. Foreign visitors in Vietnam grew 23% month-on-month in January to 44% of their pre-pandemic peak, driven by American and Korean tourists, although I must add that the uh, foreign tourism recovery is lagging behind other ASEAN countries, partly due to more restrictive inbound visa policies. Uh, in Cambodia, foreign visitor arrivals have hit around uh, half of their pre-pandemic peak, exceeding the government's forecast for 2022 and led by ASEAN tourists. China visitors are lagging behind, 
for both Vietnam and Cambodia at merely 2.5% of pre-pandemic levels in Vietnam and around 10% in Cambodia. Now, looking ahead, uh, headwinds from weakening external demand, particularly from US EU, are expected to persist given slowing growth and tighter monetary policy. Uh, nonetheless, we are seeing bluer skies for both Vietnam and Cambodia given China's rapid reopening, which will boost uh, tourism and exports with a revival of China's outbound travel and import demand. Cambodia would likely be a greater beneficiary given its greater dependence on tourism. Uh, so we recently raised our forecast for 2023 GDP growth in Cambodia to 5.7% from 5.2% previously and in Vietnam to 6.3% from 6% previously. So, Amy? Thanks, uh, Brian. Uh, let's move to Andy. Um, Andy, FX research team uh, contributed to the latest ASEAN X macro research note. The theme is essentially a relook at currencies, fair values versus uh, US dollar. Um, maybe two questions. First is uh, uh, more of a request. Can you quickly refresh us on the construct of the model, especially what are the variables used to determine fair value of currencies against US dollar? Uh, second, Basically, what are the findings or conclusions from the exercise? Do the updated fair value estimations have any bearing on your FX outlook? As in any revisions to forecast, uh, what are the currencies to watch and FX trading strategies? Andy? Yeah. Uh, morning, Swami. Morning, everyone. Hope everybody had a good long weekend uh, in Malaysia. Um, okay, for your first question uh, on the fair value, uh, we actually shared with clients uh, the behavioral equilibrium model or the sort of fair value sort of model in January 2020, just like a, a, a few months before the COVID hit uh, market, uh, markets and economies. Uh, but why are we doing this? Uh, um, I think before we start, I start off and mention about the variables that are, we put in the model. The reason is because um, we did it in 2020. There has been uh, significant moves. Uh, DXY, dollar index have dropped 11% from its September peak last week, last year. Um, and then uh, there are developments on the policy front and there's volatility uh, this year in terms of growth because there's still lack policy effects from the Fed and developed markets uh, on growth, still concerns from that front. And then like what we've heard from the other speakers today, uh, sticky inflation. I think the theme coming from commodity and all that will still be volatile. Um, so that led to our question from the FX front, whether there are many misalignments on the FX front uh, now and over the next three to five years. So for our model, uh, what we tend to use this model for is to guide us in terms of our forecast uh, beyond a year, between two to five years ahead. Uh, we converge these currencies that we have in the near term in terms of our forecast to this uh, longer term uh, forecast uh, that that's shown the model. So we're looking at a more, probably about two, three to five year view uh, based on this fair value model. So it is very important uh, because it gives a perspective of what uh, fundamentals are saying. So back uh, to your initial question, uh, Soemi, the variables that we use are net foreign assets as a percent of GDP uh, for these countries. We also look at the trade openness, the total trade as a percentage of GDP. Uh, we look at nominal interest rates differentials uh, as percentage point deviation from trading partners weighted average. So we don't just look against dollar, but we look at it against trading partners. Uh, and also, uh, importantly, inflation differentials, uh, percentage point deviation 
from um, the country's trading partners uh, at weighted average as well. Why we're not using other variables is because we tested and in general, uh, some of the other variables like other variables, some might suggest equity markets and all that are not really very significant. So these are the four variables that we look and we run it uh, by country and in a panel sort of estimation. Uh, so that, that's uh, for your first question, Swami. I hope I answered that. Um, on, on your second question, what are our findings? Uh, essentially, what we want to find out whether the misalignments have been different compared to 2022, uh, not anything very stark, but essentially what we found is that dollar has more room to fall. It has fallen uh, in some ways over the past quarter or so, but there's still some more room to move. On the other extreme end, we still think that the yen is still significantly undervalued. Not much change also from previous run in 2020, uh, but it has actually strengthened a bit, uh, but there's still some more room. Uh, what is interesting is that euro we found is actually, the euro is actually moderately overvalued as well, uh, somewhere in between, but what's stuck is between uh, the dollar and the yen. So in some ways, we still continue to favor shorting uh, the dollar against the yen uh, from a fair value perspective uh, in terms of trade weighted. On the ASEAN front, there are uh, continued misalignments. We we found that actually ringgit, for example, is misaligned, uh, undervalued by about 5.5%. Uh, and it's quite stark. It remains the most undervalued among the Asian currencies. Um, uh, for it, it, There is about 5.5% uh, appreciation um, that uh, it needs to actually reach its equilibrium. Uh, China, uh, I think it's uh, Renminbi is roughly about 1% above overvalued. Uh, there's still some room for it to actually depreciate. So on the extreme ends, we have two uh, ringgit at the extreme end, which is undervalued by five, about 5 to 5.5%. We have peso at the other extreme end, which is overvalued by 4.4%. So it could be vulnerable for bearish reversion against the undervalued ringgit to some extent as well. So um, on the sink front, I uh, we found that Sing dollar is understandably overvalued because of its safe haven allure uh, in times of uncertainty. But I think there's uh, some potential for it to see some uh, movements or weaker uh, over the next two to five years, three to five years. Uh, however, we think that the significant Sing dollar strength would generally continue in our view for over the next 12 months or so. Um, we then, um, I think, so I mean, the main thing is, I think we then looked at, because of the extreme ends, the yen strength, whether the yen strength to actually will have impact on certain currencies. We found that uh, only IDR and Taibat were potentially uh, significantly linked to a stronger yen if it uh, strengthens, whereas the, yes have, the rest of the other currencies have very insignificant effects. So strategically, um, what we found is, I think like I mentioned just now, short dollar yen uh, is still desirable. We are looking for uh, relative trades Within the ASEAN space, yen ASEAN FX, the pair that we're looking at is probably going long yen peso, uh, because the yen has got strong chance of performing outperforming this year, uh, whereas the peso is likely to be limited in terms of vulnerable fundamentals. The other pair that we can look at is in terms of ringgit. Uh, there's still some upside over the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, ringgit could actually see a bit of upside relative to the peso. So the key currencies are peso, uh, vulnerability, ringgit potentially undervalued with strong upside. Uh, and the yen front uh, probably has a strong upside as well over the next 12 to 18 months as well. So um, that's something interesting. And before I end, uh, for those interested in the fair value of the ringgit uh, relative to the dollar, if you extract it out from our model, which is generally a, a trading partner trade-weighted perspective, 
But if you extract out the dollar ringgit, uh, our fair value now gives us about 4.02 uh, for the dollar ringgit fair value, which should um, we should be our converging number towards over the next two to three years. Um, but we we are forecasting ringgit to be about four levels because of the extreme uh, potential dollar softness uh, by end of the year. Thanks, Raimi. Any if any questions? Yeah, thanks, uh, Andy. Maybe just one question. Uh, you noted know, ringgit most undervalued. Uh, seems to be the case for the longest time, if I recall. Uh, what are the most important variables in the model explaining this ringgit undervaluation? I think in terms of the interest rate, uh, in terms of interest rate differentials, uh, could be one. Uh, net foreign assets. I think the fundamentals of uh, Malaysia in terms of net foreign assets, uh, both foreign, especially in terms of its uh, acquisitions of foreign assets abroad as well. In terms of trade numbers as well, I think the key would be, in my view, uh, net foreign assets, uh, trade openness to some extent, some of the differentials that uh, the carry that it has on the interest rate side as well. I, I suppose inflation is not so evident because it's, it remains uh, quite low on the inflation front relative to other trading partners. So I think those those are the key relative to the four variables that we have in the model, which applies to all countries. Yeah, thanks, uh, Andy. Uh, let's move to uh, Philippines equities side. Um, begin with uh, Jackie. Um, Philippines market strategy, you reckon it is time for investors to consider buying conglomerates. Uh, what are the reasons for your call and essentially which conglomerates should investors uh, consider putting their money into? morning, um, Suhaimi. So, although we do have a technical neutral on the conglomerate sector, given our cell call on JG Summit, uh, we have been pretty bullish on SM, GT Capital, and DMC, and all are actually part of our top pick list for the market. Um, so, we expect 2023 years, uh, 2023's earnings uplift to be macro-driven for the country, uh, given the anticipated stability of oil and commodity prices, uh, the stability of the peso, inflation, um, and policy rates, as well as the added kicker from the reduction in personal income taxes starting January this year. And we think that these uh, conglomerate names offer the best or most comprehensive way of playing this uplift. Um, the sector derated massively in the last two to three years due to the market's low risk tolerance, which was further heightened by the Duterte administration's narrative against families. So the country's largest conglomerates like Ayala Corp and GT Capital are actually trading at up to 40% discounts to historical average um, and have underperformed relative to their composite index of the core subsidiaries. So with majority of the headwinds that caused this derating starting to turn out, we see no reason why these names uh, shouldn't re-rate to at least where their subsidiaries' valuations are at. Um, we like the consumption proxy um, SM investments to play the continued recovery in domestic consumption. Um, and then we also like Toyota Master Franchise CGD Capital to play the country's improving mobility. Thanks, Jackie. Let's move on to uh, ratio. Um, Philippines is in the midst of this uh, mandatory SIM registration. Began on 27th of December last year, and I, I believe the deadline is um, in, in April 26th this year. Uh, so what has been the progress ratio? And of course, more importantly, what will be the impact to the um, Philippines telco sector from this exercise? Hi, good morning. Um, so as of the end of January, 27 million or about 15.8% of total SIMs have been registered. So TEL leads the pack with 13.6 million uh, registrants, about 20% of the total um, SIM holders. 
So while this initiative could weed out um, low-quality customers and reduce subscriber count by 3 to 5%, this decline should be more than offset by the rise in mobile data usage from increased online banking and e-commerce transactions and higher level of adoption in rural areas, such that uh, mobile ARPUs should still grow by 3 to 4% in the medium term. Per annum. So with less than um, three months to go before the deadline, telcos have upped their initiatives, setting up physical registration booths, aggressively campaigning on social media, and constantly sending SMS reminders. So SIM registration for postpaid users is quite easy since postpaid subscribers only need to update and confirm their personal information. Um, however, for the prepaid subscribers, which account for 97% of the market, is quite more challenging as well our internet penetration is relatively high at 68%. Identification documents are lacking, especially in the rural areas. Still, um, we expect this initiative um, to be net positive for telcos as they will no longer incur additional expenses for security measures to block um, scam messages from anonymous SIMs. So hence, um, we maintain our buy calls on Globe and PLD. Yeah, thanks, uh, Rachel. And um, that's it uh, for this morning. And uh, have a good week. For specific investment advice, speak to your trading rep. Also check out our research reports in the Maybank trading platform and follow ASEAN Speaks on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank. <laughs>